0: question for you to get started. Can you think of the name of the company that produces the content that you consume the most on the internet? For me, the answer is starting strength. Second question, can you think of another company or a brand that produces the highest quality content of all the content you consume? For me, that's starting strength. So I show my support, by subscribing to the network. It's $8 a month. You can sign up at network.startingstrength.com. If you can afford it, if it's no big deal, if eight bucks a month is a lot of money, don't sweat it and just keep listening for free. Uh, Speaking of the rich and the poor, if you're the former, you might be able to afford our gyms. But the good news is the first session's free. It's a free 30 minute coaching session. And if you mention this ad spot, At any participating gym, you will get a free 30-minute coaching session. So those are our ads. We are sponsored by ourselves. On with the show. Mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. All right, today we're here with Dr. Megan Yeh. She is Peter Yeh's wife. She is co-owner of Starting Strength Columbus. She's a physician. She's a professor. She's a lifter. We're going to get to know Megan today. So Megan, welcome. Would you mind... uh, given us the down low on your medical background, and, and then I want to talk to you about your numbers under the bar.
1: Sure, sure. So happy to be here. Um, so I'm actually an assistant professor of clinical medicine at Ohio State. So um, I am an internist by training, and I work as a hospitalist, which for those of you that don't know is kind of like your primary care doc when you're admitted to the hospital nowadays.
0: Got it. Okay. So I
1: see all different types of patients. Um, I have some of my own patients. I work with consultants. Um, I work in all the hospitals we have. So cancer, cardiac, rehab, um, and just the general hospital as well. So,
0: Well, maybe we can start with some education right out of the gate because um, I'm not familiar with what a hospitalist does. It's always occurred to me that when someone goes into the hospital, there should be someone that is uh, responsible specifically for that person's care. And it's never seemed to be that way for me anyways. I've uh, had a few run-ins. Is that, is that what that is? Are you the one who's responsible for ensuring the patient gets care and is, and is uh, managed from, from start to finish?
1: Correct. So um, most of the times when you're getting admitted to the hospital for a problem, I'm the person that's seeing you down in the emergency department. I'm putting in your orders. Um, you'll go under my name, so to speak, um, and I'm responsible for you while you're there. Um, I determine if you need you know, extra consultants or other people to be involved in your care. And then ultimately when you're better, I make sure that you get where you need to go, whether that be home or somewhere else.
0: Let me hear about your numbers. Where, where did you start? How long ago was that? And where are you at now?
1: Um, so I started when I was, I guess, September of 2020. Um, I started a month after I had my second child. Um, and literally my husband and I, we're just getting into starting strength. Um, didn't know anything about it. And I felt I had had an injury before I had thrown out my back during my pregnancy and it was pretty bad. And I knew I needed to get stronger. Um, but I didn't have a whole lot of time then. (laughs) And so my, I, I literally started with 45 pound bar, um, and just kept, you know, adding weight. Um, and I think after, you know, several months, maybe January, February, I was up, into like the 170s, 180s in terms of a squat. I think I was deadlifting over 200 pounds. Um, But by that time, we also really knew that we were doing a lot of the movements wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) and needed some help, needed some coaching. Um, And that was when we were getting into, you know, thinking about actually starting the gym. Um, But uh, progressing on now, um, I lift two days a week. Um, My schedule is often kind of erratic, but um, now my squat, I squat, uh consistently in the 230s um for top sets. Um I'm deadlifting 300 pounds. Um I bench 145. That's my that's my PR so far. So nice. And my work sets are pretty close to that. So
0: yeah, yeah. What's your press like?
1: Um my best press is 110. Um usually I pressed anywhere in the ninety fives to one oh fives for my sets. I find it's hard to, to go up, especially with the bench and the press, because I just don't do them a whole lot. Yeah. Um, usually, you know, once a week, twice a week uh, when I'm off work. So
0: you're still strong making. as hell. I mean, anything mm-hmm. above hundred pounds on the press and in the 150 range on the bench, that's uh that's sticker territory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been pretty happy. It's, I've been working real hard at, at it, but
0: hell yeah. Well done. Um, I like women that lift. I think it's cool uh, to see a girl put two plates on the bar and squat it. And I like doctors at Lyft. Um So, so thanks for blazing the Me trail too. in both categories. <laughs> do you, how, what's the crossover like? Um, do you discuss strength training with your patients or is that not appropriate for uh, your role in the emergency room?
1: I do, um, to a certain extent. I think um, like anything, it's for people that are open to it. Um uh, you know, they if I'm sometimes I'll wear a starting strength shirt to work, so they'll ask me what that is, mm-hmm. um or, or what I do. Mm-hmm. Um and and so that's always fun. Um and I think it's something um relatively new to most of my patients, something um that they've never heard about before. Um you know, honestly most of my patients I ha- I hate to say it, but most of my patients don't exercise, much less are we talking about certain types of exercise. You know, my colleagues are actually the harder sell when it comes to uh, trying to convince them that strength training is something they should be doing.
0: What's the objection?
1: Uh, I think a lot of it is is what is taught, you know, high reps, low weight, um, or you're going to hurt yourself sort of nonsense. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait,
0: wait, hold on a sec. Let me, let me just stop. I need to think this through. Megan, you mean to tell me that your med- medical doctor colleagues are unable to see what's directly in front of them because it contradicts what they were taught in school?
1: I I think for some of them, that is the case. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I don't believe it. <laughs> that is, that unfortunately is, uh, is the hallmark of your profession in 2023, mm-hmm. which is, uh, man, it's so disappointing because becoming a doctor was the thing to aspire to when we were kids, you know? What the hell happened? Mm-hmm. And now we have a bunch of ideologues who um, have belief systems and are anything but scientific-minded. Um, mm-hmm. Am I nuts for thinking that? Or, you, or <laughs> what? what's your perspective for the ins- from the inside?
1: Uh, no, I, I think there are certainly people like that. But then on the flip side, there are certainly um, doctors that do use their brain and are are very good. Hell yeah, um, good. So I think, you know, you just have to to find one of them, and sometimes that can be a little bit um, of a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think there are certainly people that know the benefits of strength training or are willing to to listen to that and to promote that. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, we do have a lot of people that, um, I think the more and more you practice, the more and more things just become routine. And we often forget why we're doing things or why we're recommending things. Um, and we really need to revisit that these days.
0: (sighs) Do you guys hear that? We often forget why we're doing things. I think, uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's well said very, very, very succinctly put, but, but, uh, quite a bit of meaning and, uh, consequence behind that phrase. Um, yeah, Megan, you know, if, if you want to get one of your colleagues on the show, I would love to talk to somebody that is, that doesn't think this is a good idea. Just cause I, I'm just curious. Um, I just want to know what the, what the point of view is because even the damn CDC guidelines say that you should, uh, you should do strength training twice a week. They don't tell you what that mm-hmm. means. Um, and, you that's
1: know, like, exactly right right i i think that's the problem right sure. we're not prescriptive enough with what that means right um it's you know and, and i can agree i don't know how a patient is supposed to know what the heck to do because they tell you you can use weight machines you can use your own body weight you can use this or that but um you know you're going to spend a lot of time on those things but they're not going to be near as useful as picking up a barbell sure, um sure. for a variety of reasons which we can get into um, so you know I don't have all the time in the world to to spend exercising I wish I did yeah. um, but you know if I want to train for me I want to do the most efficient thing and yeah. I think the um, doctors need to know a little bit more about what appropriate strength training is I think most doctors are, are just like everybody else they're busy they mm. have lives and kids and you know obligations and you know, it's hard enough for them just to fit any sort of exercise in as well. Um, much less strength training. I think strength training is often the the forgotten child, you know.
0: Yeah <laughs> so a cardiovascular
1: exercise.
0: It certainly is. It is asked backwards like most most things in modern society, it seems. Um mm-hmm. what what is your position on strength training as a medical professional? How would you articulate the benefits of strength training to someone who is uh, coming to you for a medical opinion?
1: Sure. Um, I think it's something that everybody should do. And I think as you age, it becomes even more paramount um, to maintaining your health and your physical functioning. Um, And why do I say that? I think it's largely because of the changes that take place with aging. So I think most people don't realize that you kind of reach the peak of your muscle mass, your lean muscle mass, and also your your bone mass by the time you're in your late 20s to 30. Um, and from then on out, uh, you are steadily losing lean muscle mass, usually about five pounds per decade. Um, and you're also losing bone density, usually at a rate of about 0.5 to 1% per year. Um, and then women have this even bigger drop off when you get to menopause, uh, which is around age 50. So I think because of those two things, you know, say I went from 30 to 70 and I lost 20 pounds of lean muscle mass, um, that equates to physical strength, but that also equates to physical functioning. That also equates to um, your metabolic rate declining because most of our basal metabolic rate is due to our lean muscle mass. So if you lose that, um, basically, people aren't functioning as well. They're developing worsening insulin resistance. This is the whole reason we say people become more insulin resistant as they age. They're more susceptible to these you know, dangerous health outcomes like metabolic syndrome, like diabetes. Um, and again, overall functioning, I think that's what people are looking at. Your function declines, same thing with your bone mass over time. And so I think If you're not doing something to counteract those age specific declines, um, you're going to end up to the point where you can't do that cardiovascular exercise that you want to do, um, where you aren't able to do the hiking and the enjoyment of retirement that you want to do because um, your strength is not where it should be. And you're also not going to be as resilient when you do get the inevitable injury or illness that comes with aging.
0: Shit. Um, you After you saying that, I feel like our owners should all be medical doctors, because that was convincing. <laughs> That's perfectly said. Uh, I, I'm assuming none of your colleagues have an issue with the way you articulated that. They probably just uh, uh, battle with you when it comes to implementation. Is that is that correct? Or would anyone uh, take issue with what you've said?
1: I don't think anyone would take issue with what I said. I think it's, it's more the implementation, you know, how you maintain that strength. Um, it's certainly proven that Doing something in terms of strength exercise is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at strength um, overall, in people that perform some sort of strength exercise, you know, their all cause mortality from any cause is about 15% um, less than the average person. And if you do strength training with cardiovascular training together, you're about 20% less. Um, I think the, you know, the studies that we use in medicine are. It's hard to do an exercise study. People drop out. People don't want to do it. It's hard to get enough people um, that it's a generalizable study to the larger population. Um, and it's uh, there are very few studies, honestly, that have tested uh, uh, patients on a barbell. Very few. Sure. Um, but you know, even people doing, like I said, little dumbbell weights and resistance machines and stuff. That is the data that overall your all-cause mortality is going to be considerably lower than the average person. So yep. I think, you know, for, for people like us, I'd love to study the populations in our gyms because I'm sure it would be even better.
0: Are you involved in the research side at all since you're also a professor?
1: I am not. I usually, um, if I do anything, it's usually more um, clinically related and kind of possible throughput outcomes, but I don't do any bench research myself.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, i was curious about the way the research world is is going down these days. I have some peripheral awareness about the sources of money and the incentives and the stuff that is studied versus the way it isn't studied, um, the quality of the studies being done, and the qualities of the journal, the quality of the journals that they're being published in. Um, mm-hmm. Do you follow this stuff closely at all? Do you have any opinion on any any of that stuff? Or
1: I do. I think in general, um, you can kind of say that. Um, Uh, conditions that are more common um, are going to get more money uh, (laughs) and are often well-funded, you know, heart disease, diabetes. um, But there's certainly a lot of bias uh, that goes into all of that, right? Um, Because you now have drug companies that are marketing directly to the consumer with all these commercials. I mean, you can't watch TV these days without seeing a commercial for this or that drug. Mm. Um, And that's because that marketing works. You know, people actually ask for this specific drug or that specific drug. So, And I think drug companies ultimately make money by having um, drugs that are um, effective or seen as effective. So um, I think uh, a lot of times you are getting a lot of of bias in some ways. Um, But at the same time, um, there's a lot of other conditions, say, like infections. That we've rarely developed new antibiotics for in years, mm. um, because it's just not um, a huge money maker. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So you, you're, yeah, I see what you're saying when you when you say that uh, the the most common conditions are the ones that get studied, with the caveat that the solution is profitable for the people funding the study um, and correct. for the people providing the solution. If the solution isn't profitable it's probably not gonna get studied. I think a good example of this is, I'm not sure if you're following the peptide space at all, but BPC-157 is all the rage. I've got a close Mm -hmm. friend of mine who's suffered from IBS for years. And uh, Mm -hmm. BPC-157 did the trick and also helped him with some joint pain and stuff. And it's a pretty clear cause and effect. And um, a lot of guys that are interested in, in solving their own problems outside of the standard medical protocol are well aware of this, and it's kind of uh, tribal knowledge amongst the, uh, the most, those of us that care to, to, to look at things ourselves. And um, I just fear that simple solutions like that may never get the attention they deserve because you can't make some exotic, patentable drug that a, a Pfizer or a Moderna can profit heavily from. Is, is my perspective as an outsider skewed, or do you think I'm relatively on the right track?
1: I think you're on the right track with certain things. Um, you know, my husband often talks to me about, you know, testosterone therapy and, you know, why that's not more generalizable to the masses. And I just don't think um, from, uh, I, I don't think there's enough, um, you know, definitive data that the medical establishment is going to rely on to say, you know, no, this works at this level, but not at this level, etc. And I don't think there's, um, as much in the way of profit, I think it's a, you know, a dicey sort of subject. So I'm just not sure that that's ever going to get studied again.
0: You're exactly um, right. because Isn't it the most beautiful <laughs> circular reasoning the, the, well, we don't have definitive data. Well, did you study it? Well, no. Okay. Well, who's in charge of determining what gets studied? So you didn't study it. So therefore you can't say it's true. So therefore you can't prescribe it to me. Meanwhile, it's got nothing to do with the fact of whether or not it's true. So it's just, uh, Man, it's just so limiting. I wish, um, I wish the incentives weren't so perverse. And really, this is the function of of bodies like the NIH. They're the ones that should be uh, incorruptible in a perfect world, and doing studies on things that actually are in the public's best interest, and not with that caveat of, and a pharmaceutical company can make a killing off of it. And the word "killing" has a has a, a double meaning in some cases, unfortunately. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. Let's get off and- this. Uh, this deeply troubling topic for a minute here, and um, let's let's go back to your uh, your pregnancy. So you were saying you were having some some back pain. Tell me about that, and and let's hear how things went after you um, healed up from the delivery and then started training.
1: Sure. So um, that was actually the second time I had uh, slipped a disc in my back. So um, in uh, right after high school, I was an athlete in high school, and I started running, and then in my early 30s, I got into you know. Running half marathons and things, and um, I think after one of those was the first time I threw out my back. it wasn't too bad. Um, I, you know, was able to kind of get back to things really quickly. Never had to see anybody for it. Um, but speed ahead, I, I, you know, had had a couple kids um, again, and I was just literally at this point I was pregnant with my um, second child, and I was bending down to pick up my daughter, and I just felt something go, mm. um, and at that point. Um, I was 32 weeks pregnant you know, you know, you can't take any NSAIDs or any, all the good things, um, um poor thing. the doctors won't let you. So I just sat for a week, uh, and a lot of pain. Um, it made the delivery seem like nothing. Um, moms
0: are so, so tough. Cool. All you do is think you're yeah, tough. So- go, go, go hang out with a pregnant woman. <laughs>
1: Um, but I think, I I think by then, you know, I knew I wasn't doing anything but running and I hadn't done anything like that for a long time. And I think over time, I knew that I was just not as strong as I should be. And certainly not, um, in some of the right areas, you know, I never did, I had kind of lost any sort of strength training whatsoever after having my first child. And, um, I think, you know, I think my back was really weak, honestly when I started strength training, I still didn't really know how to set my back in a deadlift. And I remember going to the seminar the next April and I, I fear I made one of the, the apprentices that was going for their SSE fail because they just couldn't teach me how to set my back.
0: <laughs> nope. Nope. You didn't make them fail. They made themselves fail by not being prepared. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, it was, <laughs> um if you, you know, can't but get a female because female
0: that. women have have uh, bendy spines typically so if, if you can't get a, yeah. a you know normal body weight woman to set her back that is a, a coaching problem and not a training problem so rest <laughs> of, you can relieve yourself of that guilt all right <laughs> oh,
1: but um but no I mean the funny thing was you know the stronger I got um I think one of the great things about strength training is that I can feel muscles that I have never felt before. Mm. Um, you know, it took me a long time to be able to feel my lats, to, to be able to, you know, feel some of these muscles that I'd never moved. And I think that's because they were just not ever exercised before. Um, and you know, as I got stronger, I didn't, you know, I think I had one kind of back tweak with a deadlift while I was initially starting. But other than that, you know, my back feels great now. Um, and I, you know, I don't have the pain. I think my flexibility has gotten a little bit better, which was a major thing that I, I lost, um, with the first time that I, I slipped a disc. Um, and I just don't, I think mentally, I don't have that worry, um, that something's going to happen again in the future.
0: That's huge, um, And
1: that's honestly more of Of a relief than anything
0: yeah 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 when you sign up for a clinical trial for example one of the main questions they ask you is uh you know does this affect um your quality of life or do you fear that there might be a negative outcome because of this condition that you have and uh that -hmm. psychological load is is uh is a serious it's a serious burden to bear so well done on on taking steps to improve your situation um having a strong back is great i've i've suffered from back issues my whole life i was in a sledding accident when i was just a kid and uh never had a diagnosis or anything but i, I could i walked poorly for several months i couldn't jump for over a month uh, something i don't know what i did back there but uh, that was the beginning of a, of a lifetime of back problems and um my back still is, isn't you know it's definitely not perfect but but i know i can feel that the muscle surrounding my spine is is protective and uh i'd i'd, I'd Hate to imagine what sort of condition I'd be in if, if I didn't have a big, strong back. So mm-hmm. applies to all human spines, you know, male or female. You've got this, uh, we're bipeds. You've got, you've got all this load on these uh, vertebral discs, and um, you can support that load with a nice, thick scaffolding of muscle, and that applies to both sexes, and that's uh, that's protective and improves your function and is uh, nothing but positive as far as I'm concerned. So, so having a strong back is crucial, and if you deadlift with your hips high you're going to get a lot of work on that back because it's got a whole big range of motion to go through as you as you extend your hips and if you do the same and bend over in the squat if you uh, subject your your back to quite a bit of load and moment moment load at that and then you've got to overcome that and keep your back in perfect rigid position and then over time it it gets stronger because the function of your back muscles are isometric so you keep your spine in perfect anatomical posi- position by engaging your back muscles isometrically and then you slowly increase the load over time and lo and behold, your back gets stronger and life gets better. So this is, uh, mm-hmm. this is one of those things I wish the medical community would understand because, I mean, what percentage of, uh, I actually knew at one point, like what percentage of sick days were caused because of back pain? It was in the double digits. I don't recall offhand. Um, the, the amount of suffering that people endure, the, the number of people that have become addicted to, to um, legalized heroin, as part of our wonderful mm-hmm. medical system um, is significant due to back pain that is probably resolvable in a lot of instances. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any reflections on on how you've solved your back problems versus what you're seeing every day in the field? And, and I also note as I ask you this question that one of the main problems is that, that other phrase loaded with meaning that you dropped on us, which is um, most of my patients don't exercise.
1: <laughs>
0: most of my patients don't exercise that's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so that, that aside, what's, what, what do you see? Cause as an outsider looking in, it feels like this should just be prescribed. You know, I prescribe you need to go deadlift at least once a week. And there's, here's a gym nearby that can do it safely for you. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, we don't do this well. I don't think as a medical profession. Uh, you know, very commonly, I think the thing that, irritates me the most um, is when one of my lifters says they're having a tweak, says they're having some pain in a joint or something, and they go to their physician, and their physician tells them, you know, may take x-rays. You have a little arthritis there. You should stop. You should not do this anymore, Um, and you should rest. Uh, That drives me insane (laughs) Uh, because people are not Going to get better. You're not going to to physically improve yourself unless you do something that is um, of an intensity that is going to drive an adaptation. Um, And so, you know, the commonest, most common thing will, you know, physicians will prescribe for people is walking. You have to do a heck of a lot of walking for a long period of time at a really fast rate, and you're only going to get so much benefit out of that. It's
0: not going to make your back stronger.
1: yeah, and it's just not going to work, right? If you're a you know perimenopausal woman and you're losing bone mass, you know you're going to have a fragility fracture in your back or your hip most likely. Those are the places that cause the most morbidity uh, to a woman. You need to do an exercise that is putting a load on, you know, the muscles of your back, the muscles of your hips and your glutes where you're actually going to uh, put a stress on that bone to increase bone turnover and and cause new bone formation. Um, And you can't do that unless you're doing an exercise exercise like ours. I mean, that's the great thing about a barbell. It's, you can infinitely add weight. Um, It's a compound lift. You have to involve numerous muscle groups and you have to balance all the time while doing it, mm-hmm. um, which helps you in other ways, helps to prevent falls as you age, You know all, all these things. Um, I, I just can't believe that more people aren't recommending it. I think there's a lot of concerns about safety and doing it effectively. And I think a lot of physicians think patients are going to see the personal trainer. And, and believe me, we know that you can go and get a personal training degree in a weekend uh, and go work in a globo gym. Mm-hmm. And I am sure that, you know, I have seen it. I'm sure a lot of orthopedists have seen, you know, some significant injuries from people that go to personal trainers like that and, um, you know, get injured. Uh, But I think with uh, the proper technique, with the proper coaching, the proper programming, rest, recovery, um, and with the proper load. Uh, you can really make a significant difference. That's why strength training works so well. And the type of training that we do is, is especially effective.
0: One of my biggest gripes with the medical culture in this country is my perceived, uh, my perception that, that most MDs are thinking one layer deep. So, okay, you just told this gal that she has arthritis in her back. Who doesn't, first of all? and you've just suggested that she become sedentary to resolve that problem, Mm -hmm. even though you know that that's not going to resolve arthritis, and even though you know that the deadliest thing you could do is be sedentary. So Mm -hmm. doctor, um, yes, you're telling me the solution to this immediate problem, it's kind of a half-baked, dumb solution, but what about all of the unintended consequences? What about my body as a system and my life as a whole, how come you're not thinking about that? And this is across every medical field. I just had this experience yesterday. I went to my dentist appointment and I can't help myself. I just kind of like to see how people think. So I used to have a, uh, an appliance that I wore at night for teeth grinding. So I asked about it. I was like, I was curious. That's uh that's made of plastic, right? Was, yeah. All right. Well, um, those things wear out, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. You got to replace them. Okay. Well, uh, where does all that? plastic material go well you ingest it and for those of you interested in this topic go go Google and Bree put a put a, a link to this in the description go Google the chemical that's used to make plastic flexible and then you tell me if you want that in your mouth and then you tell me if you want to be ingesting that every night no one I, I spoke to about it had even considered that and so it's just uh, we're, this is a the human body is a multivariant system. It's super complicated. You affect one thing over here, it makes, it makes an impact over here. And, and yet I feel like the medical community is totally myopic. You come to them with a problem and they're just telling you specifically how to solve that problem, which may or not, may not work. And it totally, totally does not consider the big picture. Um, have I had a string of bad luck or do you find that that's commonplace in the medical culture?
1: I find that that's commonplace. And I find that physicians often underestimate the amount of influence uh, that they do have with patients. Um, So if you look at studies, for example, on on back pain, uh, a lot of times, regardless of what a person's MRI looks like, if they perceive um, that their imaging and their outcome is negative because a doctor, you know, helps them to perceive it that way, those people go on to have, you know, more disability, more chronic pain um, than if a doctor says, oh, you have this change on your MRI, but, you know, that doesn't equate to how you physically function. And I think the best thing you should do is is go out and get back at it yeah. and get mobile. Um, you know, uh, Australia is a, is a country that does this pretty well. They have a lot of um, good protocols in place to get people up, get people active, and really focus on, um when patients have injuries, uh, you know, getting them out there again and really focusing on the function um, rather than what their imaging says. I have so many people that come into me and you know, feel that they're going to break their spine if they move two inches because they have this terrible, you know, finding on their MRI. Yeah. Um, and that's just not the case. Um, we often have things as we age. You know, if you do MRIs on most older people's shoulders, they're going to have some rotator cuff tears or partial tears, things like that. It doesn't in any way to equate most times to how they're functioning and they wouldn't even know about it if you didn't MRI the shoulder. Sure. Um, And so I think, I think we're in this age where people either don't pay enough attention to their health or they're hyper-focused on it and they latch onto all these little things that really don't necessarily mean much. Yep. now there's a lot of gray in medicine you could have the same injury as me and we can have totally different responses um but you know i think
0: outside of surgery i think it's all gray mm-hmm.
1: you know i think, I think really,
0: everything's on a continuum of probability and there's a there's no there's not much certainty in the practice of modern medicine there's not um but we pretend no. that there is
1: yeah it, it really isn't and if you're going to a physician all the time Expecting to have a concrete 100% answer, this is going to work for you. Um, that's probably unrealistic. Yep. Um, you know, but this is where if you have a good general practitioner, I think it's a good thing. You know, general practitioners hopefully have a relationship with you and can see you as a whole person and kind of know your risk tolerance, know when to push you, know when to um, kind of draw back. I think. Um, I think that's where things can be useful. Um, But at the same time, uh, you know, I'll say it time and time again, if you can prevent a disease from happening, you know, before it starts, that's much better than having to deal with a disease once you get it.
0: No doubt about that. And unfortunately, most of us, uh, especially as we're young, don't really understand what it means to be unhealthy. And we take our health Mm -hmm. for granted. And uh we make decisions that reflect that we're taking our health for granted, and the body's so resilient it can withstand all kinds of abuse for years and years and years and years and years. But then eventually you got to pay the price. Eventually you got to there there is a price to pay for for having bad habits, and um, it's not that complicated. You know, it's like any other machine, just a biological machine. You've got to use it in the way that it was intended to be used, and you got to provide it with the uh, the fuel that's required for it to run optimally. Um, so using Mm -hmm. it the way it needs to be used is moving it around, um, uh, since it's biological, it needs, it needs, uh, stress needs to be applied to it. Um, it needs sleep and recovery. It needs good nutrition. And, uh, I think that would solve the vast majority of health problems if, if we got back to basics, um, not another drug. It totally
1: would. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep, nutrition and doing the appropriate, the right kinds of exercise. Uh, 85 to 90 percent of the time and i think that's where most people you know go wrong is we lose that consistency um because life gets in the way um and you really really have to prioritize those things if you want to maintain good health throughout your life yeah. um you know we can't change our genetics we can't change bad luck um we're gonna get injured we're gonna get ill um but i think the the key to maintaining your health overall is is those three things. Um, and you need to do them consistently. And and really there is no quick fix in medicine for any of those things. You know, that's uh, developing good, um, behavioral habits is is really what health is all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The health starts up here with your understanding Mm -hmm. and your commitment. And then, uh, it, it percolates down from, from that point. Um, Megan, I think it's kind of cool that you're a runner. I, uh, I think a lot of people have a misperception, um, a misconception that uh, we're anti-running and um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, I don't think we're anti-anything. I think that we are clear about what is useful for gaining strength and what is not. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're already strong um, and you enjoy running and you do it in a low impact way, I think that's, that's, that's great. You know, I think that uh, that conditioning work is important, especially once you're at the numbers that you're at, Megan. I think in the early days, time should be spent getting to the level that you're at strength-wise. And then once you're strong, keep your body mass, uh, lean body mass in check, um, or rather your overall body composition in check, uh, body fat percentage in a, in a reasonable area, and, and give those heart and lungs some work beyond just a heavy set of three or a heavy set of five. Um, can you tell me about your running habit and, and what you do and why you do it?
1: hmm So I that's the one thing I told my husband when I started training. I was like, I'm not giving up my running. <laughs> I, I love it. It still um decreases my stress more than anything. Nice. Um I still try and run about three days a week. So I lift twice a week. I still I I try. Um I don't run Near as far anymore. Um, I'm not running any half marathons. You know, three to four miles is usually all I'm doing at a time, Um, basically because that's all I have time for. Um, And I'm a lot slower, um, but I'm doing it more for enjoyment. I'm not necessarily training for any race. Um, But I do think it's important um, once you're done your NLP. Um, To add in that cardiovascular conditioning component, you know, if you look at all-cause mortality, your VO2 max, the amount of oxygen you're able to kind of consume and your muscles can use is also an important predictor of all-cause mortality. And again, I think from a a metabolic standpoint, um, having good cardiovascular conditioning is important. Um, And doing that with strength training um, is the best thing for your body. Um, So I think overall, I would advise anyone to do it. And I do think it's important, especially if you have some body composition goals Um, in the future, you wanna maintain, um, you know, certain amount of fat mass to lean muscle mass, things like that. But um, I I would always encourage people if they're trying to lose weight to develop a good um, overall base of lean muscle mass first with strength training um, because I, I can tell you, once you do that, you're so much more metabolically efficient, mm. um, in terms of utilizing excess calories, um, having a, you know, a higher, uh, basal metabolic rate that it's going to be easier to make minor tweaks to your nutrition, um, or do a little bit of extra conditioning, um, and actually see some more, um, positive weight loss, I guess.
0: Sure. Yeah. And we could, we could debate about, uh, the best forms of conditioning. But my take as mm-hmm. a coach and as a trainee is if there's something that you do outside of the weight room that gets your heart and lungs pumping, that you enjoy, go do that. Go do that. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not uh, overly stupid and is going to cause you significant problems. But running certainly doesn't fall into that category. And uh, running running's a good time. You know, If you want to mm-hmm. get your face out of the screen um, and just, just kind of – push through the discomfort and find like a nice meditative flow state rhythm, clear your head, do some thinking to put on the shoes and go for a run is a good time. Um, are you slow now, slower now because of the, the body, I'm assuming you gained some body weight. Is that why?
1: I've gained about 15 pounds nice. <laughs> since I started. Yeah. So, um, I started, yeah, I think I was, I was 168 when I started. I was, I had just had my kid a month before, for a hot minute, I got down to 160, which was my pre pregnancy weight. And then I gained it all back again uh within a couple of months. Yeah. Um and then I I have not seen the 160 since. So
0: <laughs> talk to me about that. How do you feel about your your body weight and and uh for yourself and in general on the topic, especially for women and your your you know, your your shape and your body composition now that you're that you're strong?
1: Sure. Um it it was different. I wasn't expecting it in in all honesty. I wasn't I think I was pleasantly surprised, but also a little concerned. I was not expecting to gain as much weight as I had. I can tell you I'm still the same size um, in terms of clothes. And so that that makes me feel good, yeah. I guess. Um, certainly, if you want a bigger booty, uh, deadlifting and squatting is where it's at. Uh, I, I don't understand people that... You know, one a Brazilian butt lift. My gosh, you just all you have to do is deadlift and squat for a little bit.
0: Yeah, shit. Um, And the fat they put in your cheeks ends up running down your leg and into your ankles. Apparently, that sounds. uh, Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not up to speed on the latest tech, but this just seems insane to me.
1: No, it's crazy, and it's there. You know, plastic surgery is so common these days. I mean, the the you know procedures have just skyrocketed um, because everybody wants a quick fix, and it's just beyond being gross it's just not tenable you know
0: yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, you're gonna have someone put you in a medically induced coma pay them thousands of dollars to change the shape of your butt when you could just go do something that's good for you that also changes the shape of your butt as a nice side effect fuck
1: correct yeah Yeah. it's it just it seems so logical and yet people don't do it yeah um (laughs) but yeah i mean i i think um, you're not going to get super muscly. I know I, that's probably the most common thing I get from my female colleagues. Is I don't, you know, if I lift big time weight, I'm going to gain too much muscle and and look too big. Yeah. And it just irks me to to death because to me that's like leaving health on the table. That's like saying I only want to be 75% of my, you know, absolutely healthy and settle for, you know, a lower lean mass and a, a lower bone density because I don't want to look big, and I just think, you know, uh, I don't think I look big. I wish I had more definition <laughs> yeah. um, than that. I don't think I've, you know, I think my shape has changed, but I don't think I I look um, any less feminine, I guess. Yeah. I think people a lot of times um, are when when they are saying that they're thinking of women that are, you know, taking some extra substances um, to look really muscular. Um, you know, you have to work really hard on that, take some extra things and, and lift a lot of weight to look like that. And I don't think that's what anybody's going for. Yeah. I always tell my um, colleagues to look at our, our coaches, you know, look at videos mm. of some of uh, the women that we have in the gym that are coaches.
0: Yeah. Shit. You no, know? look at kamisha or Gretchen. Right. Or, uh, any of these gals. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: They look great. They don't, you know, they look feminine and they're fit. Yeah. You know, they're really, really fit ladies.
0: Yeah, that, that objection is kind of like saying, uh, you know, I'd clean up my diet a little bit, but uh, I just don't want to get too lean. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not how it works, silly. <laughs> you're not going to get to 6% body fat if you cut your carbs a bit and eat lower fat. You know, that's just mm-hmm. not how it works. I'm sorry. And I know you have this extreme conception in your mind, but I'm telling you that you don't know what you're talking about. And I do. So you can decide if you want to listen to me or not. Uh, if you don't want to listen to me, just look at the case studies on the YouTube channel and talk to the members. But, um, don't know what to tell yeah. you. All right, Megan, sh- show us I, those I show us those traps. What do, what do we got? Pull the hair back. Can we see those traps? Let's see how masculine you've become okay. here. Oh gosh. Look like a normal girl to me. Shit. All right, biceps. <laughs> let's go. What do you got? Ugh! Oh, look at that disgusting muscular arm, Megan. You've uh, you've clearly.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. Terrible, isn't it? All right, it. that's a that's
0: a that's a scientific study with a doctor my friends we've just proven that unequivocally how um, old are you megan and what's there- what's your height by the way I, we should get that out of the way too mm-hmm.
1: so i am 41 and i am 5 7
0: 5 7 and your what's your current body weight
1: 177
0: nice i like i like i'm glad i'm glad you're willing to share that and i'd like to share that when women come on the show just because uh, you know how much work we have to do. You're in the gym all the time as far as dispelling body composition and body weight um, misbeliefs. <laughs> so we've, we've got a lot of work to do. That's the theme of this episode, Megan. We, uh, we have some information and some evidence that is contrary to what most people believe. Um, it's especially, uh, It's especially negative and troublesome in the medical field um, and it's especially negative and troublesome for half the population, which is women, um, the, the, especially those of whom have, have gone past menopause and need this the most. So what do we do about that, Megan? Do you have any ideas for me? I'm supposed to be doing this marketing stuff now for the gyms company. And, I, you know, we're organically growing and the message is spreading. We're doing the podcast. We're sharing videos on our YouTube channel. A lot of times I feel like we're just talking to ourselves, even though things are kind of slowly growing. Um, what do we do?
1: I think if you are stepping into a starting strength gym, you're already well ahead of most of your peers. Um, so for people that are coming to our gyms, you're already on the right path. Um, I think regardless of your age, people can benefit from strength training. I think we just have to, you know, I think we still, as our gym at Clubus, we still get um, most of our clients by referral. Um, but I think if. We can have more and more people talk about their experiences, talk about the benefits they've had. Um, And if we can, you know, and I guess this is my job is to talk to more medical professionals about, um, you know, and just educate about what the benefits are. Because I I think a lot of people just honestly don't know or they've forgotten or we studied it for two seconds in medical school. uh, you know, I think we just need to drive more and more people to this place. But if you get into a starting strength gym, I think you're already, you know, heads and tails above the rest of your peers.
0: Yeah. Um, absolutely. Well, um, I will be in Cincinnati. You saw my email uh, in mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. So if you have any members that you'd like to highlight on the channel, I'll bring my camera and okay. get some case studies going. Yeah. And then um, when it comes to spreading the word in the medical community, if you can think of any uh, specific actions we can take on that, let me know. And I'd like to be involved, including, by the way, you seem awfully busy. You're a professor, a doctor, and a gym owner, and a mom. (laughs) So you probably don't have too much spare time. But um, in any case, I do think it would be outstanding to get in front of uh, a group of, of medical professionals at a conference or at any educational format and and however we, we spread the message, I want to start spreading the message more. I would love to get to a point where your PT after you're done with the, you know, the nonsense you're required to do for insurance post surgery, and also your uh, medical doctor after your blood panel comes back and your BMI is shit and your the sedentary lifestyle is making you pre diabetic and you're on the wrong track. I'd love it if the next recommendation was not to go to the pharmacy, but to go to a starting strength gym. And um, even if it's not us, to, to to go, it's like, even if they just said, go find a safe way to lift weights, do that two to three times a week, don't ever miss a week, and add weight when you can, and keep your reps on the low side. Even if people are doing that on machines, that would be so much better than than what they're doing now. Would it be optimal? No. Do we have a better way? Yes. But um, it would be nice if things evolved towards that, so that when... <laughs> when a medical or when any professional gives you a recommendation, but it's totally generic in nature and you know, they don't have any idea what they're talking about. They're just parodying what they've heard. Um, it's just stunning. Right. So it's like, Oh yeah, you need to go do resistance training two days a week. Okay. How? Oh, um, well, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's kind of like blank stare. It's, it's very, very similar to a conversation I had with a, with a doctor I bumped into at a, at a bagel shop a couple of weeks back. And, um, I, you have to forgive me, Megan, but I, I like to just bring up topics that uh, you're not supposed to bring up because it's really interesting for me to, to just watch people's reactions. So I asked this gal like, hey, so what do you think about childhood vaccines? And her, she looked at me like I asked her if the earth was flat. <laughs> and I said, um, and she said, oh, no, they're great. And they, they prevent disease and you should take them. And they're, I said, yeah, yeah. No, I I understand the, you know, what the what the story is? I'm just curious. Like, so for example, hepatitis B. Can you can you think of a reason why I should give my daughter the hepatitis B vaccine? Uh... <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting when you peel the peel the layers back. And and by the way, uh, Megan, I know that you you enjoy learning things, and uh, I know the the mm. audience does too. I'm reading this book called Turtles All the Way Down, which is uh, an investigation. Apparently, it's, it's anonymous criminal investigators from Israel that dared to look at the way vaccines are studied and brought to market. And it's pretty interesting. So um, we'll link to that in the description, too. I, I would love to hear your input on something like that. And I've got a, a post on the forum on this topic because, unfortunately, I'm not in a position where I'm willing to trust anybody I don't know especially not a bureaucracy and especially not a random person that has a title because I do my best to avoid credentialism. Um, So I'm certainly not just going to blindly trust the CDC schedule for childhood vaccinations. Um, So I'm doing my own research and I'm finding that it is is a minefield. It's an absolute minefield. And the the, the dissenters, whenever there's a dissenter that that, uh, cites data and has good arguments, I always go to find the counters to their arguments. And the interesting thing is I only find smears about their character never the, never the, never the counters to their argument, uh, especially Dr. Sears. Um, so yeah, I, I, no need to respond unless you want to, but this is just a fascinating topic for me. And, uh, I love, I love how, what we do, um, impacts health overall. And I'm just fascinated by the way our culture manages people's health and all of the incentives that exist and the structures that exist and the system that's in place. And, uh, I find it all very bizarre, fascinating, somewhat disappointing, um, and in some cases encouraging, as you've mentioned at the beginning of the show. Brie, please link to the forum post where I I wrote a forum with the subject uh, Forbidden Conversation, Childhood Vaccination. And um, Megan, I have a few thoughts that I've shared in there. And I'm just trying to purely look at this from an an objective point of view. Like if I'm an alien that landed on this planet and there's a, Mm a standard way of doing things, I'm just trying to verify that that way of doing things is optimal. You know, um, I would love your opinion on that, and I would love to be educated if uh, if I'm missing something because this is a critically important decision. I can't think of anything that's more okay. important. You know, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'd love I'd love your input. I've got one more question for you on the medical stuff, and then I want to ask you about gym ownership. What what's uh, what's the curriculum like in in college? Um, mm-hmm. Is there stuff that, that is clearly not true? that that the staff is is being requested to pretend is true for example i guess is the curriculum where it needs to be or do we have we, or do we have the as many flaws as i think we do in the way things are being taught
1: so i do teach about 25 percent in the medical school so um i you know so i know a little bit about the curriculum um i think there is so much uh, to medicine um It's hard to get it all in. Uh, So, your first two years of medical school are typically just book learning, um, learning about diseases. And then the second two years are typically learning from patients um, on the wards. But, you know, uh, there are diseases that I remember learning, like literally one line on in medical school. And I will have patients that come in with that disease. Um, There are diseases like cardiovascular disease that you spend, you know, weeks to months on um but uh, overall medicine is a life uh learning subject um you kind of have to continue and it's on the onus of the physician uh to kind of continue to read and look up things and you know bring in their clinical experience as to how they would treat patients i think you can give you know even though you teach some physicians the same knowledge, I think that you can give them a patient later on and they can come up with two totally different interpretations of what that patient has and how to treat them. Sure. Um, And
0: I watch House, I know. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's largely because there is so much gray in medicine. Sure. Um, And I think the interpretation of even some of the data that we have uh, depending on how you're looking at it,
0: uh, can be and very And depending on how it's collected, if we're being honest, correct. Yeah.
1: Um, and which you know which articles you decide to trust versus not trust, and and which kind of avenue you decide to take. Um, so I think that's where patients are often frustrated, and where there's often you know not a set answer. Um, and and that's why I think. You know, I want my patients to do their own research. I'm happy when they ask me questions, you know, and I will give them my honest opinion, even if it's an I don't know, you know, Yeah. Um, yeah. that I just don't know enough about that topic. But um, I, I do think from a curriculum standpoint, I can tell you most medical schools are just overwhelmed. There's just not enough time to teach the students everything and also keep up with all the other things that we need to, to do like their Personal days and time off, and making sure their, um, you know, mind body health is sound. But then also, you know, uh, getting in their need to interview patients and, you know, being able to talk to people appropriately. There's just so much. Sure. Um,
0: sure. There's a lot. You could spend
1: know. ten years in medical school and not not know everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fine. I'll 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 be more direct with my question. I'll cut to the chase, Megan. Um, does your school teach? That there are two distinct biological sexes that cannot be changed back and forth.
1: They will teach a difference between biological sex and how people identify. Okay,
0: good, good, cool. That's that's uh, that's sound. The, the The lines seem to be blurring. We seem to be moving into territory where people where people literally think or are saying that you can actually change your sex, like your biological sex. Mm-hmm um yeah so okay good But that's
1: how we try and define it
0: yeah that's comforting thanks for telling me that all right let's land on a happy note megan um you can tell my my skepticism and and displeasure with the medical community as an all-time high so pardon my uh Mm -hmm. uncomfortable questions this one will be fun tell me tell me what it's like to uh to own starting strength columbus
1: oh it's great That's great. Um, I'd highly encourage anybody, um, if you're interested to do it. uh, I think, uh, you know, the best thing for me is that I get to see people that actually care about their health (laughs) and they want to get better. And you get all the good feelies uh, when you own a gym because you see people actually changing their lives and, uh, you know, getting better and functioning better. Um, And then they bring in their families and you, you know, you get to meet Uh, everybody in the family uh, and that's, that's the best thing is the community that you have, Um, you know, and and you get to build that up and you get to kind of run the gym the way you want. And, and, you know, I I think it's just great. It's always something I can get behind is, is helping everybody to you know achieve a better health outcome. So
0: I never put it in those words. I never thought about it like that. That's a great point. Uh, Yeah. In the medical field, we don't, we don't get a whole lot of joy out of seeing people get better you know, that's not, that's mm-hmm. not our average day. Um, but in the gym, you're seeing people get better every time you see them. And, uh, you're seeing people make the right choices. No wonder why I like coaching more than I like riding on the ambulance. Um, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think
1: that, yeah, that's my biggest thing. Uh, probably the biggest, you know, problem with burnout in our jobs is, you know, people come back in with the same old thing, mm-hmm. same damn thing every time. Yep. Um, and they don't make the changes. They don't get better. And you know, you, you just get a little numb to it after a while. You know, it's it's nice to see patients or clients, whatever, that are taking control of their health.
0: Yeah, one of my biggest problems is uh, uh, I I sometimes care about people more than they care about themselves, and that causes conflict. And um, if it's a stranger, that's totally inappropriate. If it's a loved one, it's a matter of just having tact and knowing when to push and knowing mm-hmm. when to let off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to be around a bunch of people that understand what it takes leave a to lead a healthy life and are happy to put in the work for the long-term benefits of uh of the work that they're putting in so it's it's rewarding yeah. to see that every day and i know i know pete loves it pete is uh pete's a great oh, guy yeah. you've got a good husband over there you guys are cool cool crew i'm bummed i can't visit the columbus gym but i'm looking forward to seeing you guys hopefully if you want to come up to cincinnati when i'm there
1: yeah i hope so i hope i can make it
0: so. awesome um well, how can people get in touch if they want to watch you lift online or want to send you a message? Do you have uh, social media? What do you want to share?
1: Yeah, so um, Lifts on Instagram. Um, you can always find me there, um, i um, I'm also on Facebook. I also am part of the Starting Strength Columbus page, so um, a lot of times I'll be on there.
0: But... Cool. Anything you want to mention that I left out? I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I always enjoy these conversations because there's a lot of stuff I'm confused about. So I uh, <laughs> I like to get the perspective of someone that's in the thick of it and can hopefully make me feel better or or reinforce one of my uh, conceptions. And then I can do with that what I will. So appreciate you humoring me, Megan. And um, yeah, I'll see you in, in Ohio. Sounds good. All right. Thanks.